Well, good morning, Gateway Taze Valley. How y'all doing? Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Russ Jordan. I am the Beckley Campus Minister at Gateway Christian Church, and I'm glad I can be with you. Uh, teens, I'll do my best for you guys to hang in there with me. Just understand this, teens. I used to substitute teach at uh, Shady Spring High School, and I'm also assistant boys basketball coach at Shady Spring High School. I hope my Winfield peeps haven't left yet, uh, but uh, we just played you guys, and uh, uh, you know, we displayed you guys, so we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, but anyways, uh, I, I'm glad, and as you can hear, I'm not sick. I just, Thursday, I lost my voice, and it was not a game or anything like that. My wife said she had their best day in two years, and I couldn't speak at all. And, but, uh, but anyways, I, I do sound better. <laughs> you heard me on Thursday, and I was like, I better have a backup plan, and now uh, Luke gets sick. So, this is what you got, all right? So... But, you know, I'm excited about this foundation series that we're doing kind of like a little mini-series as we get ready into our first foundation Sunday next Sunday night. Now, I want to encourage you this. There's, a, there's some playoff games going on, football, you know. That's why the, the churches are so packed with cowboy fans uh, today. They're all out here praying. But uh, my point is, is this. I know that there'll probably be some football games on next Sunday, but if you can clear your schedule, parents grandparents, children alike. This is going to be an amazing event. And we're going to do this once a month on the last Sunday nights of every month. So you just need to clear those last Sunday nights and you need to plan on being here. So as we talk about the, the very truths of our foundations of our faith, and, and we're going to talk about them in ways that are practical and will give you information to be able to have an intelligent conversation with somebody who doesn't believe like we believe. Here's the thing, before I even get into the message this morning, our culture today is different than the culture that I grew up in. Our teens are growing up in a different culture because here's the biggest thing. When I was growing up, you could disagree with someone and still be agreeable. Does that make sense? But in our culture today, if, if you disagree with someone, then that means you hate them. Church, we, we've got to get back to being able to say, we love you. Even though we disagree, we love you. We're concerned for you. And, and, and we got to get to this point because our culture is forcing us. That I see Christians feel like, well, if I don't stand up and say something, then I'm letting Jesus down. No, let's do it in the way that we have answers for their questions. And let's speak the truth in love. That's what the whole point of Foundations is all about. And I hope that you all can plan on being here next Sunday night. Now, like I said, this is the setup mini-series to why we have come to this realization as a church. In fact, if you remember on the January 8th video message from Pastor Dave, we, he asked himself the question that was asked to David the psalmist when he wrote, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to push back by going deep into God's word. We're going to fight back against a culture that is trying to destroy the biblical foundation of our lives, our families, our churches, and our communities. We're going to reach all the way down into the teaching and training of our children to start building a solid foundation. And we're going to build this solid foundation for our students all the way through our adults. For those who already have a biblical foundation of your lives and your families, we're going to shore them up by strengthening what you already believe. And we're going to be prepared for the storms that are coming and face the church. Listen, 
The enemy is not at the gate. The enemy's in the city. It's time to fight back. Satan is here amongst us in our churches. And we need to take a minute to define how he is attacking the culture. I want to give you six ways that he's attacking the culture quickly. Atheism, which is a growing belief that there is absolutely no God. And this is an attempt to remove him from the fabric of our culture and marginalize those who worship the God of the Bible. Agnosticism is a belief that there may be a God, but he's unknowable, uncaring, and uninterested in what's going on in our world. Humanism, which is the placement of human achievement above divine power and grace. And this term that a lot of people are talking, but we're going to define it as this, is wokeism, which is weaponized personal grievances masquerading as genuine social concern. Or in other words, it's a fake concern of a response about the issues that we're facing. We acknowledge that there are many issues in our world today, but let's be honest about it and have a conversation that revolves around what God's word has to say about these issues. And fifthly, progressive Christianity, which is a growing movement in the Western world that makes our faith less about what the Bible has to say and Jesus being the only only way to God and more about our feelings and how others perceive us. And sixthly, there is the perversion of the sexual and sexual behavior and human sexuality as created by God and defined in the Bible. And then I, you remember Revelation series? We can't just leave it at six. There's a seventh one. It is the absolution and dismissal of all forks and spoons from homes who have teenagers. Can anybody else relate to me that has teenagers? We lose more forks and spoons than any other household in America. And Gateway is going to help you solve this problem. And let me tell you how we're going to do it. What we do in our house with three teenagers when we are out of forks and no spoons and everybody's like, where are the forks and spoons? Because I can tell you where they're not. I know mom and dad did not throw them in the trash can, but I will promise you not one of my teenagers will stand up and say they did it. They will all blame each other. So you know what we do? We put them in the car together. They get out their own money from their savings account. And all three of them go down to the Dollar General to get new forks and spoons. See, Gateway is about providing practical solutions for real life problems. All right? So all you parents, we will help you get through all these things. I said that last week and Steve said that was pretty funny. So you might want to mention that again. I tried to fit it in the message, but I'm serious. That's a real problem in our house. And when they all left me to go visit Indiana and I could not find a fork in the house, boy, anyways, I had to get to church. Anyways, but what we are fighting against right now, we are fighting for life. We really are. And for respect. And for personal property. We could probably name a few other things that the devil is attacking and throwing to our culture. But make no mistake about it. These are attacks from Satan who hates God, who hates the Son of God, and hates the people of God. Listen, folks, we have to create and develop a biblical worldview for ourselves and for our children. The Bible has to be the first place we turn to when we have questions of what's going on in the world around us. It may not be the only place that we turn, but it has to be the first place. Now, last week, we looked at the parable about Jesus, about two men, Sandy and Rocky, one who built on a home. Sandy built his house on sand. Rocky built his house on rock, right? That's what we talked about. And we said it's time to invest our time by digging deep and building our lives and our marriages and our families and our churches on them. Last week, we had our small group meeting, 
in our small group, uh, we, we, we talked about investing our time. And so all of us committed to reading a chapter of the Bible before we got out of bed, before we even turned on our phones, and we would either read it on our phones or read it in the paper version of the Bible. And I can tell you from talking to my group members, it's went well, they feel better, they, they feel like they have a better perspective on the day if they get started that way, right? And then we went one step farther in our small group. I said, well, I want another practical way that you're going to invest your time, not only into the Word of God, but in maybe in practically how you can bless your families. And again, my wife was in Indiana visiting family, so I was there by myself. And I mean, they got real deep, and I was like, wow. And I felt the pressure as their preacher. I better say something. And I said, I need to listen to my wife more. And the room went silent, and all the guys looked at me like, oh, I'm going to punch you right in the face. You know? Well, my wife, as uh, last January, took on the role as an assistant principal in an elementary school in Raleigh County. And she comes home every day and she needs somebody to listen to her. Because all day long she's listened to parents, to kids that are having problems. And I'll be honest, as a husband, I wasn't really listening to what she had to say. And so I said, you know what? I need to invest my time to really give her, try to give her 15, 20 minutes. I said, start with me, babe. Let's not go real, real long here, but where you can just kind of unpack and I won't have my phone out. I won't have any other distractions. I just want to listen to you. And I'm trying. And this week's been better. And I mean, she, you know, she's had, she said she had a good week, but I thought because I lost my voice, but who knows. But I'm saying we all can invest our time. And, you know, that's all, we all get the same amount. Whether you're rich, poor, black, or white, it doesn't really matter. You get the same amount of time. Invest your time. And as, we, as our group has started reading a chapter of the Bible before we even get out of bed, and in finding practical ways to invest our time. But today's sermon text comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The book of both Peter's letters that he wrote were about spiritual growth. They're an encouragement to first century believers to grow strong in their faith. Persecution was already happening by this time, and Peter experienced it, as well as the other Christians in his day. And But things were only going to get worse. And he knew that a weak faith would not survive the coming storms of the spiritual attack of the oppression of a pagan culture in their time. Only a strong faith would survive and thrive. And the same is true for us today. I really believe if you want to really get some encouragement, read both of these letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and understand what it means to grow strong in your faith. And I'm going to be honest with you. Regardless of what you think has happened in our culture or not today, I believe, this might be offensive to you, but here's the thing. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I offend everyone equally, all right? And what I'm going to say may rub you the wrong way, but I think our culture is very weak right now. I'm not just talking about, I mean, you know, you all are hitting the gym and you guys are going good on your New Year's resolution, so I don't want to take you away from you. You know, just come see me in June and we'll go get an ice cream. But, but... But my point is, is this, is that we're so weak. We get so easily offended. Um, I always tell people I've got one feeling and it gets hurt often, but I get over it because I only got one. But so many people get so offended and so upset about things that you just like, whoa, what is going on? And, and listen to me, teens and, and kids, if, if I can have your ear for a second, you deserve better from your adults. 
Our, as adults, we need to show our children what it's like to be strong in our faith. To be unapologetic as being a Christ, as a Christ follower. Not to be offensive, like we're trying to offend folks, but as you're going to see in the scripture today, by being a Christian, for those who don't believe in Jesus, is offensive. It can be a stumbling block just by believing that Jesus is our cornerstone. But I want to help you with this. We need strong Christians. We need strong husbands. We need strong wives. We need strong children. We need strong families. We need strong churches. Because we are under attack. And this morning, there's going to be two things that we talk about. One, Pastor Dave absolutely loves. Milk. How many of you all know Dave well enough to know his affection for milk? This dude, I didn't realize how, how great it was until I went on a mission trip with him. Have you ever saw the movie Rain Man? Do you remember when he was going to flip his lid when he getting, 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 <laughs> couldn't see Wapner? He's like, remember he's out in the desert and he's like, Wapner's on in five minutes and he was going to lose it, right? Dave's the same way if he doesn't get milk at night. And he, he, he puts it on ice. It's so weird. And I know he'll be watching this. But I mean, it's like I, I was on vacation with him and we were going down to the airport. And he's like, I got to find milk. I got to find milk. And I'm like, well, do you need a blanket as well too? I mean, what do you need? But he loves milk. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big milk guy. All right. I used to like eggs, but I can't afford them anymore. But, but listen, <clears throat> we're going to read about the land that was promised to God's people that was flowing with milk and honey. Honey and tea sounds pretty good to me right now, I'll just let you know. And I thank you this morning for helping my voice. She made me tea with honey, I appreciate it. And so in the first eight verses this morning, let's look what the Word of God says. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Boy, if we just did that, we would shut down social media as we know it. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Milk. There's the part about milk. He's obviously not talking about liquid milk here, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about God's word. And he's not talking just about God's word. He's saying we should have a desire for God's word. We should have a growing desire of pure spiritual milk like, like a baby craves its milk from its mother. We need to be hungry for the word of God. Some versions translate this phrase as crave pure spiritual milk. We need to develop a craving for the Word of God. When I was a kid, and even as an adult today, how many of y'all have ever been to Pigeon Forge? What's at the end of Pigeon Forge before you get to Gatlinburg on the right? Krispy Kremes. And that red light was like a bug zapper for a fly for me. When that red light was on, the only time I need a little thing of chocolate milk and six hot donuts Straight to diabetes, here I come. You understand what I'm saying? I crave, when I saw that red light, I was like, man, we need some Krispy Kremes. You know, I could say some words like Big Mac. And some of you are like, man, I need to get a Big Mac. You know, if you notice in our society, we have certain things, if you just say these words and people are like, I need popcorn, right? You know, some of you are like that, you know, chocolate, you know. Uh, my wife, when she was pregnant with Sam, 
right? There used to be, Dave, Dave knows, there used to be a subway right there in the Grandview gas station, right? I knew the worker on a first name basis because I was there three to four nights a week getting a six inch on wheat, chicken, ranch, red onions, and pickles. Ugh. <laughs> Russ, how's she feeling? I don't know. She just needs another sandwich. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, you get to know people like this, but I mean, cravings are real. And listen to me, teens. Be careful because I got gamers in my house. A craving can seriously go right over to the line to an addiction. It's a, it's a real fine line. But what he's saying here, and the author is, we need to crave the word of God. We need to take it in and have a desire to have it as much as possible. The psalmist told uh, to the Lord, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste. They're sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 103. It's the same for us today. If you want 2023 to be a year where you grow as a Christian, this is where you start. You start with a hunger and a desire for the word of God. Develop a craving for it. Develop a habit, like I'm trying to help our small group to decide that if they miss a day of reading in their Bible, they're going to know something's off. Read the Bible and read it for yourself. Don't take a preacher's word for it. You know, back in the dark ages, before the Renaissance came, there was only, in the Western known culture, only about 6% of the people were literate. That means over 95% of the people were illiterate. And so they relied on somebody to tell them what God had to say in his word. And you can see kind of chaos that that caused in the church. You need to read it for yourself. You need to develop your own faith, not your parents' faith. You need to develop your own faith. You know, and here's the question. Should you have a paper Bible or an iPhone app? I only have anything for you Samsung people because I don't know what you do. You're so weird anyways. But uh, <laughs> again, I offend you equally. All right. Um, but my point is, is this. I don't care, but use it. it. It does no good for you to carry around the big old thick King James 20 pound version and say, look at my Bible. And it's never been opened right? Or you only bring it on with you. The only time you read it is when you're in church. You know, it doesn't do any good and say, well, look, here's my iPhone app, all right? Mom and dad right next to my Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff. But if you never use your Bible app, it does no good. So know if somebody's reading to you the word of God, it's one of the things that I think is vitally important to our church. We're a Bible-believing church, we use scripture to base our rules of practice and faith. We, we understand what the Bible has to say about marriage because the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. We understand what the Bible says that we should do and shouldn't do because the Bible has a lot of things to say in that. You know, I, I tell my, my folks, and I just got a picture from Beckley, um, the house is full this morning. And that's really exciting because it is, you think you had a little bit of snow and ice? Come to Beckley with me, all right? It was bad when I was leaving this morning. And those people braved their, their souls to come out to worship the Lord, all right? It always amazes me. Well, I need to stay home from church, but you don't miss work. You don't miss the ball game. You don't miss the travel thing. But man, if that snow even thinks about coming, we might miss church. Good job, Taze Valley. Way to show up this morning, all right? Again, I preach, and if you're weak, you may not like it, all right? But it's just the way it is. I'm so proud and happy of my campus being full this morning because, trust me, it's much worse down there than it is here. And here's what I think. I think we need to develop people that want to study the Word of God. 
And we want to help you gain a, such a craving for it that if you miss it, you feel like something's off. Listen, we are blessed this day in this age to have so much more information. Some of it's beneficial, some of it's not. If you're going to spend a lot of time on your phone, make sure that that time is on your Bible app or your devotional apps. There's really no excuse that we have today for not developing and craving for God's word. Now, I want to move on to the second topic, rocks. Now, this is something Dave and I can't agree on. I like rocks. In fact, I remember this. I remember as a child, my grandparents went to Las Vegas every year. That was their big trip. You go ahead and judge them, you Christians. They went out there. And, uh, and I remember I learned what a money belt was. Does anybody know what a money belt was? My grandpa used to have a money belt. And he'd have his money to go out there and gamble with. I know he's a sinner. But, but listen, I remember my mom, and they took my mom and I with them. And, you know, while they went and did their thing, there was a kid's room to play video games. And I do remember this true story that my quarters lasted longer than their quarters. And they came to try to take my quarters. I was only about eight years old. And I was like, I ain't having it. All right. That's your own mess. You, you lost your quarters. Let me play with mine. So, but anyways, I remember my grandmother loved purple. And we went out to see the Grand Canyon one day. And we drove past one of those little stores or places where you could buy stuff, you know, tourist attraction things. And there was a purple amethyst rock. And this thing was big. And I was only about eight or nine years old. And I, had, I think I had $40 on the whole trip. And that rock cost 20 bucks. And I remember taking that $20 and I told my mom, I want to buy that for my grandmother. You would have thought I bought her a Mercedes Benz as a little boy. And then to the day that she died, that rock served as a door jam to her bedroom. That's what she used to keep her bedroom door open. And, you know, I've always been a rock hound, but there's rocks all over in the Bible. The most famous ones are the stone tablets that God wrote the Ten Commandments on, Exodus 20. There's the rock that Moses struck to get water when the Israelites were in the wilderness, Numbers 20, verse 11. There are the five smooth stones that David picked up from the stream and made his way to Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 40. Many times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock. 2 Samuel 22, 47 says it this way. We read, the Lord lives, praise be to my rock, exalted my God, the rock, my Savior. And the stories of the temple gates and the stones of the high priest and the breastplates. Satan tried to tempt Jesus once by turning stones into bread. Remember in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. There's all kinds of stories of the rocks. But listen, and when we get down to our verse this morning from uh, verses 4 through 8, listen to the word of the Lord. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen as precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into the house of the holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a Zion, a stone, listen to this, a cornerstone, chosen as precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7 says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has, be, has become the cornerstone. That stone, he's saying, listen to verse 8, that stone is a stumbling stone. It's a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I like rocks. Peter 
seem to like rocks. And why not? We saw last week Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which literally translates and call him Rocky. He was not the first one, Balboa. Peter was. We used the two words in this passage, one for stone and one was called rock, which is the Greek word Petra, which is the one that Jesus used to define Peter when he made that statement. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that confession of that who Jesus is would be the rock on which the church would build upon. And there are three rocks here in this passage. And I want to talk about them when it comes to our foundation of our spiritual growth. First is the cornerstone. Now, can I just be honest? I'm outside my expertise. I'm way above my pay grade if, I'm, if you're looking to me to build anything. How did I come to that realization? Do you remember during COVID when Pastor Dave and Dave Philbin and Jameson and I went to Haiti? <laughs> it was us four. And we built two houses for people in Haiti. Us four along with the Haitians. Those poor people had rhombuses, not squares, not rectangles. They were rhombuses by the time we finished building them. But when it is fascinating to me, and I had a, um, a conversation with Dave this morning about this because he is a builder. When you look at the architecture and the way that the builders built things in the biblical times. In fact, on the Western Wall in Jerusalem, this is just a, um, this is not the actual Western Wall in Jerusalem. Dave said he's actually seen this. The cornerstone that Herod used to rebuild the temple, expand the walls. This stone was so precise, 44 feet long, 16 feet high, and they think it's 16 feet deep. Isn't that right, Dave? And it's so precise, there is not one mortar. There's nothing in there that holds the next stone. It was cut to that kind of precision. And here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what the word in Peter is telling us. He's saying in ancient times and even earlier times than that of a nation, builders used concrete stones and they started building. If it was big, carefully cut stone, they ordered the rest of the building around it. Every wall and the foundation of this building was aligned to in relation to the stone. The phrase that we see in verse 6 comes from the Old Testament. We read about it in our focus time this morning in Psalm 118. We also find this term in Isaiah 28. This is where Peter is quoting from. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is the cornerstone. And what's the point that he's making here? The point is God's people, the church, and individual believers are built upon this foundation of Christ. The old hymn says, and you want to say it with me, most of you know this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Listen, when I say unless you build your life, your marriage, your family, and our church is not built, uh, has to be built as Jesus as our foundation. We will not stand the test of time. We will not win these battles that we're facing right now unless Jesus is our cornerstone. If we build upon Jesus as our foundation, we will not be put to shame on the day of judgment. Salvation belongs and found in no one else than Jesus Christ. That's why I say we need people who are unapologetic Christians. For far too long, when someone say, are you a Christian? People are like, yes, yeah, shucks, I guess I am. I guess I'm one of those people. We've been marginalized. 
We've been marginalized because we've been weak. We're afraid that if you find out I'm a Christian, you might treat me differently. You might judge me differently. We need people who are no longer weak and say, I built my life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. I'm far from perfect. I have many faults, failures, and sins, but I am built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he talked about this this morning, living stones. Just give me a couple more minutes. Peter says that Jesus is a living stone, but he also says that we are living stones. We're not just another brick in the wall. We've been regenerated. We were once dead in our sins, but by the Holy Spirit, we've been made alive in Christ. We've been called out of this world, out of our sins, so that our family can be a part of the family of God. We are living stones that he carefully placed into the spiritual house that he calls the church. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit places each one of us in the body of Christ where he sees fit. God is the ultimate mason. Jesus is the cornerstone, and you and I are the living stones that make up the walls of the house of God. There's no one perfect, no church is perfect, but he's still building it. And listen to me, friends. If you're here today, and you're feeling weird being in church, let me encourage you. I didn't grow up in a church home. My parents divorced when I was six. My dad died as alcoholism when I was 24. I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm not an elder's kid. And I felt that going to church a lot. When I first started going to church with my friends, I'm like, man, these people aren't like me. I even felt it when I went to Johnson Bible College. Because it's full of preacher's kids and missionary's kids and elder's kids and deacon's kids. And let me tell you, those elders, preachers, and deacon's kids, everything they say about them is right. All right? (laughs) And I went there and I remember, I couldn't tell you who built the boat, Moses or Noah. Honest to God, I could not tell you the difference when I went to Bible college. I remember my little 1990 blue S10 pickup truck with a 4.3 liter V6 in it. I missed that truck. And I remember one day I'd had enough of the judgmental nonsense from these other people that were supposed to be living stones. I literally packed up my stuff and I had it loaded up in my truck, ready to just walk out of Bible college and Jesus. But I realized and remembered something. I wasn't building my life on the living stones. I was building my life on the cornerstone. And I think that's what we need today. You know, if you come to church, and especially as big as your, this campus is, and even our campus in Beckley as we're going, there's going to be somebody there who hurts your feelings. But that's where I think we're so weak. <laughs> Can I preach just for a second? Christians, if we are so easily offended by everything somebody says, does, or looks at, the way we dress, or what we said... Or what movie we watched. And that's enough to throw in the towel. When Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. And we're ready to walk out on faith because someone hurt my feelings. I don't go to church to worship you. I go to church to worship him. And I think this is part of the problem. People are trying to build their faith on living stones instead of the cornerstone. Listen. All of us have our issues. I don't know, I can't understand why people don't like me. I'm the best person I know. 
I like me. But there are people who will not like me. And we were, it's like oil and water and we go to church together. But guess what? We go around the table together as well. Because I realize something about myself just as much as I realize about them. Hear my phrase. Please be patient with me. Because God's not finished with me yet. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. And I think this is a message that needs to resonate to people because in our culture right now, if I don't like you or you don't like me, that means you hate me. No, it does not. I, can't, I don't understand why you like Kentucky basketball, but I will pray for you <laughs> greatly. Amen. Qu- qu- quit being so weak. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not Kentucky fans. Everybody. You're, somebody here you're going to offend. It's going to happen. But you're not here because of them. You're here because of him. And I think that's where our churches are messing up. Finally, I got to go quick. Because I don't want you guys to think, man, I don't like him. He preaches to him. <laughs> See, I'll offend you. See, the alarm just went off. He should be done. <laughs> Finally, there's a stumbling stone. Let's do this quickly. What is a stumbling stone? Peter here tells us in the text. He says it's the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders. They're not happy with it, so they pull the cornerstone out and set it aside. And so it's just the way as they were trying to build these walls without the cornerstone, they would just stumble over it. Now, we've already said that Jesus is our cornerstone. So who is not happy with him and who is trying to push him out? It's Satan. Our world, our culture is trying to push Jesus. All those unbelievers and all those who are disobedient to him, they don't like Jesus because Jesus offends them. In fact, they're offended by him. The Greek word Peter used here is offense. It's the word scandalon. It's the word we get scandalous. To unbelievers, Jesus is scandalous and the world is scandalous. It offends them. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? And at one time, the truth of Jesus in the Gospels was so scandalous to a man named Saul. He called it in Galatians 5.11, the offense of the cross. But God changed his heart and through his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he would later say in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, folks. As you begin to build your biblical foundation in your life, in your marriage, in your family, into the lives of your children, there are going to be some people who are going to be offended. They're not going to agree or understand. And that's okay, because we're going to keep praying for them, praying for our one. We don't expect a warm and hearty welcome from the world, but it doesn't mean we're going to be hateful with the gospel either. Listen to me. It's not our concern to condemn That's a God thing. Our thing is according to Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Or as what we read later in 1 Peter 3.15, do it with gentleness and respect. And that's why he reminds his readers as we wrap up this sermon. But as you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Before I even say the next words, 
So how should Christians treat non-Christians? With what? Mercy. Why? Because we receive mercy. Do we forget that? Do we forget that we receive God's mercy so we should extend it? And listen to the last part. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, people traveling through the world, as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles as honorable, so they will speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the God on the day of salvation, over his visitation. I I just want to finish this thought. Not everybody, when you start making these changes in your life, are going to agree with it. When you start coming to church more than just Sunday mornings and you're coming back on that last Sunday night of the month and you start getting knowledge. Now, here's what I'm going to encourage you with this knowledge. Once you come to Foundations next Sunday night, and I'm going to check your all's Facebook page because I am a creeper. If you get on there and say, well, here's all the knowledge I got from Foundations and here's why you're all going to go to hell. If you do that with the knowledge of God, you might as well not even come. Because you don't have a foundation problem, you've got a heart problem. So take the information you gain, speak the truth and love with gentleness and respect, and show mercy as you've been shown mercy. What the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable are Christians who claim they know Jesus, but they don't act anything like him. So I'm encouraging you. Build your life on the cornerstone. Become a living stone. And realize that the world's not always going to agree with what we have to say. But if we can do that and love the Lord and love each other and love and serve our community, people are going to start seeing a difference. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for giving me just enough voice to get this message out. But I don't just thank you for that. I thank you for the people who are willing to listen. I know that the students didn't have their class today. They had to listen to a bald old man ramble. But you know what? I was glad they're here. Because why we are doing everything that we're doing is for their sake. Father, you know the facts. I grew up in a large church on the south side of Indianapolis. My youth group had 35 seniors graduate in 1994. And today, I can say with all truth that there's only five of us still walking with you. Breaks my heart. And these students are facing challenges to their faith in ways I never did in 1990. They are being persecuted, bullied. And God, we can't just let them be weak. We've got to make them strong. So my prayer is for them. And my prayer is for their homes. And my prayer is for this campus and my campus and St. Albans and Marmette and our campus in Haiti, that we are building our faith strong on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So Lord, as the tests keep coming and the challenges that the church face keep coming, we will have answers. 
And not only will we have answers, we will have compassion and mercy for those that are stumbling over Jesus. We do it not for our sake, but for him who died on the cross and came out three days later victorious. Jesus, our Messiah. And we pray in his name and all God's people said. I mean, we're going to enter a time of decision. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If you need somebody to talk to, let us talk to you. But this is his decision time and yours. Satan doesn't want this time to happen. You know, a lot of churches got rid of decision times. It's happening. The progressive Christianity. Don't, don't, don't make people feel uncomfortable. It might hurt their feelings. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is still in His church. And when His people come together, there are those who need His Spirit to move in their hearts and convict them of sin and bring them to Jesus. So we're a church is still going to offer decision time. And we're going to offer those that maybe wander for a way to come back home. So as you stand and sing, won't you come this morning?